I think probably most of you are familiar enough with the Bible that you know that Jesus used parables to teach us, symbols from nature and all different walks of life. And he used these metaphors or scriptural pictures to teach us about ourselves and how he relates to us, how we think about God and who he is. And the most used, number one picture for us, for his people, is fruit, produce from the earth. He used pictures of grapes and fruit trees and grain. Uh, The number two picture he uses for us is sheep, and the number three one is fish. Uh, We're going to talk about fruit grapes and fruit trees and stuff. So there's some scriptures. I just want to give you a tiny sampling of the examples of how Jesus used this, this language, these word pictures of fruit trees or grapevines or grain to represent us as people. In Matthew 7, he says, you know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn brushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by your fruits you will know them. Jesus is talking about the deeds of our life and maybe even the words of our mouth. He says, you are like a fruit tree. If you're a good tree, you will have good fruit come out of your life. If you're a bad tree, you will have bad stuff come out of your life. So he's comparing us to fruit trees so that we can understand what he's teaching. The next passage, also from Matthew chapter 21, this is Jesus speaking again. Hear another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. He leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. And when the vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent servants more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then at last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said amongst themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out in the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? So Jesus is talking about his father and himself and Israel as a vineyard. But in general, I just want to see, I want you to point out that Jesus is referring to the people of God as a vineyard. Individually, we are grapevines, and he calls us that. We're going to look at that passage in John. But together, he calls us a vineyard. So we get this picture again of fruit trees and fruit coming from us. The next passage is from John 15. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me, the branches are us, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. All right, the next passage is also from John chapter 12, where he starts talking about us as wheat. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternity. And then in Matthew 3, John the Baptist is talking about Jesus, but again, we are referred to as wheat. His thresher is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the bin, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. 
So we've got these scriptural pictures of us as fruit trees, grapevines, wheat plants, uh, in the parable of the wheat and the tares, which are the weeds, God's people are good seed wheat and the devil's people are weeds, seeds. In the parable of the sower, we are the soil. There's different kinds of soil that are either fertile or filled with rocks or filled with weeds or is good soil. Everybody with me? We get all these agricultural gardening type type of pictures. We're called God's orchard. We're called God's vineyard. Uh, In Song of Solomon, we're called God's garden. So we're going to hone in on that this morning, and I want to show you something about who God is and who you are and how we're supposed to relate to each other. This is our garden as of Thursday, the last day it was sunny. Right now, it is, it is a fairly good pile of weeds. There's a few things out there. What do we got? Onions and carrots, carrots and some lettuce, maybe. Yeah. yeah, the berries are on. The raspberries were all smashed by the snow. We haven't got them up yet. But anyway, that's our garden. So Sarah and I like to garden. Uh, our kids do not. When I was a kid, the most hated job ever was pulling weeds in the garden. And, and uh, I have changed, but my kids are following in my footsteps. They do what they have to, and, and that's, you know. But Sarah and I like to garden. Our moms are prolific gardeners. Sarah's parents' garden is a work of art. It is absolutely spotless. There's not a weed in it anywhere. Her mom plants flowers in between the vegetable rows sunflowers in the corn and mums and whatever else I don't even know what you can tell okay African daisies she says all right my mom growing up had a huge garden and it was pretty much spotless Uh, she didn't decorate it with flowers like Sarah's mom but we have this standard to live up to uh, that our parents have created for us of, of growing this spotlessly clean garden, and it's pretty, and it's this you know picture from a magazine, and can and freeze everything, fill the pantry. That's kind of the way both of us grew up, and it's the way we sort of kind of thought we were going to live when we were younger, <laughs> and it hasn't worked out all that perfectly. So we have this garden, and we really do try to keep it nice. I was years ago, 10 or 12 or 15 years ago, I was weeding in the garden, hoeing, trying to get it to look good. And I'm, I'm sort of maybe even unconsciously, but I'm trying to live up to my parents and, and even more my in-laws standard of how a garden should look. And I'm hoeing there and working and God interrupts my, my hoeing and he says, Mitch, the point of a garden is not to be a place free of weeds. That's all he said. And because I had made that, the goal was that the garden be free of weeds. But the goal of a garden is to bear fruit, to produce food, to bring life. If the goal of a garden is just to be a spot free of weeds, then go spray Roundup in a square in your backyard and you will have a spot free of weeds. You will have nothing. You will have bare earth. And it will be dead and lifeless, but you will have a spot free of weeds. Are you with me? God says, Mitch, the point of the garden is the cauliflower and the carrots and the corn and the tomatoes and the garlic and the onions and the lettuce. It is not that you get every blade of grass and every burr out. Yeah? 
So if you are God's orchard, if you are God's garden, if we together are God's vineyard, it is not God's goal that we be a perfectly weed-free place. God's goal is that we bear tasty fruit. Some Christians can get the idea that uh, that God's goal for me is that I get everything in line. That I be perfect, that I look good, and I get all the weeds out of here. And God is, no, I want you to bear fruit. I'm interested in the cauliflower. If there's five blades of grass over here and a couple nettles, that's okay. If you focus on getting rid of all the weeds, you will become a lifeless Pharisee. Jesus' problem with the Pharisees wasn't that they were doing bad. It was that they weren't doing good. Hello? And way too many Christians and churches focus on, I have to stop this bad thing. I have to stop this bad thing. I have to stop this bad thing. I have to kill this. I have to get rid of this. And, And all the while, we're not producing any cherries. There are no apples on the tree. Hello? So... God says, as I'm hoeing, trying to make our garden look good and thinking probably about my in-laws and my parents' gardens, Mitch, the point of a garden is not to be a place free of weeds. It is to be a place to bring life. So of course we weed our garden because you can't have it overgrown with nettles and weeds and burrs and, and it have produce any fruit. So yes, we weed our garden. But the point of gardening is not weeding. The point of gardening is what we get out of it. The point, if you're not a vegetable gardener, but you like flowers, it's the same thing. The point is the flowers, not getting rid of the weeds. It's the same thing. You may look around at this church and you may think, well, this place is not very weed free. I see some weeds around here. Yep, you do. And you may look at other people's lives. You're like, my garden rows are straighter than theirs. So what? Maybe their onions taste better than yours. <laughs> Nowhere in all of his metaphors and parables did Jesus talk about being weed-free. He did say, actually, the only time he talked about the weeds was that we, that we need to get rid of them so they don't choke out the fruit, right, in the parable of the sower. And the other parable where he mentions them, God says, don't pull the weeds, let them grow with the wheat, and, and we'll, get them, we'll, we'll get them, but we'll, we'll get them all together. Don't stress about the weeds. So I'm not saying don't address your sins. I'm saying the point of addressing our sins is not so that we can look good. It's so that we can bear fruit better. You with me? Okay. So we have some fruit trees around our garden, and I took some pictures of our fruit trees, and I want to talk about them for a little bit. This is our Gravenstein apple tree that's in the front lawn on the south side of our house. It's really good apple pie apples, really good. Sarah was given this one as a gift, came from a nursery up in Wallowa County, so it was the most mature tree we have planted. It was also already pruned into this shape here, so it's a nice, it's our nicest tree because we didn't do it. (laughs) All of our other fruit trees we bought as bare sticks from grocery outlet. You know, wrapped in plastic, and you know, which you get at a grocery outlet. This one came from a professional nursery, and it's pruned up really nice, and uh, it, it grows really nice apples. It's uh, the next picture is a close up of some of the blooms that are on it right now, and you see this shape. 
But then there's people who have the trunk and then they prune the branches so they grow down so that you can harvest everything from the ground. So you get this mushroom-shaped tree, toadstool-shaped tree. Uh, this one is, I think it's called a goblet. I'm not exactly sure, but it's, it's pruned out with, with uh, this sort of uh, hollow circular um, shape to it so that you can reach everything uh, from the open and there won't be much in the center. It makes the fruit grow better and whatever. So this has this professionally shaped pruned tree and I've cut it up a little bit and I'm not, I'm certainly not perfect, but uh, we do our best. This is our apricot tree, sort of has the same shape, a little short trunk and then it splits and then each of those boughs split. Someone who will remain unnamed butchered it several years ago and her husband had to uh, print it up a little bit afterwards, but I won't tell you who that was. Uh, <laughs> our apricots, last year we had so many apricots, the branches were on the ground. And this year we didn't have a single bloom, not a single one. So we're not going to have any apricots this year, but you can kind of see that same shape. This, there's, it's a pretty tree. It kind of grows leaning because it's under an ornamental cherry tree that that kind of makes it grow like this to get some sun. But it's, you know, it's a decent shaped tree. So then out at our garden, we have three sweet cherry trees. And this is the first one. And it's pruned up again in this bowl shape like this with the boughs out from the side. And you can, you can pick the cherries from the side. And, and uh, it's, it's decent. The next one is the same age. Planted at the same time. And it's a good four feet shorter, I suppose. The deer munched the branches off of the south side, so it's really only got three main boughs. But it's, that tree is probably now six feet tall, I suppose. And then the next tree is also the exact same age. And this little guy is maybe three feet tall. Every stinking winter, the does get the, our cherry trees. They have six or eight deer that live behind our street, and they range around in us and our neighbors. And and two winters ago, I put these stakes and I wrapped it in a wire and I preserved it pretty well. But this last winter, the snow beat me and I, did, I couldn't get this wire on and there was nothing happening in Ambler for three months after the snow started blowing. So, so it got munched again. Uh, it does have some flowers on it and it is going to uh, grow some cherries, but the bark is rubbed off of it. it it's just a pathetic looking little thing. It is the same age as that tree. We planted them all three at the same time. I wanted this nice, uniform, beautiful-looking orchard, and I get cherry tree, cherry tree, cherry tree. <laughs> it's trying. It's really the little tree that could, but um, the deer keep getting it. You can see its bark is really rough. They, they peel the bark back, and they, they're looking for something to eat there. So, Okay, so then we've got two apple trees. This one also, when it was young, got munched by the deer. It has, it's supposed to be, again, shaped real nice and pretty, but it's kind of cattywampus off to one side because the deer got the branches on the south side, and it's kind of skewy, but it's there, and it makes good apples. It's, it's a closer view of, we got, it's got one main bough that splits into three, and they all lean one direction, and then there's this thing that, vroom, off to the side here, and you know, when we planted this thing, I put them all in a row, and I staked them out and got them straight line. And I'm like, we're going to have a really nice-looking orchard. And, and then the deer and the snow. And the next tree is the same age. You see the deer have really roughed the bark up on the trunk of that one. It's, again, it's got one main bough that splits one direction. And then the third apple tree just died. It just wouldn't grow. The gophers ate the roots off this winter, and it's gone. So we have, I wanted to have this nice row of trees, all the same height, all pruned alike. And it would be this showcase 
a row of trees along the road, and, and this is what I got. I got one that's 12 feet and one that's 3 feet tall. I got a hole in the middle here where there is no tree anymore. And, oh, yeah. And then we come to our peach trees. We, have, we did have three peach trees. One of them died too. This is a fairly decent peach tree as far as its shape and, and height and all. It's kind of taken off. Peach trees are pretty sensitive. They have a rough time in our climate. We have to spray them with copper so their leaves don't rot and fall off. And that's not the best shape, but it's better than the next one. Our last tree is this guy. This peach tree... The two peach trees are different variety, and this one is delicious. It is so good. The other peaches are okay. This one is really, really good peaches. But the bough on the left there last spring grew so many peaches, and I thinned it, but I did not thin it nearly enough, uh, and it was way too small for the amount of fruit it had on it, and it split that main bough that goes off to the left. So I got out my sawhorse, and I rigged it up and I got the pool noodle and I cut it and I wrapped it, wrapped it so it wouldn't take the bark off and, and I, I uh, staked that thing up with a two by six and we're going to hold this tree and, until we get these peaches and then I'll cut it off. So we got the peaches and oh wow they're good. That branch was on the ground even supported like it was. The end of it was out clear out on the ground. The peaches come off and the time to cut that bough and it's actually the main bough of the tree, the largest one. The others would grow, but they're pretty wimpy. I don't know if you can see it or not, but there on the left, you can see where it's split just right down the middle. There's absolutely no structural strength in that branch at all, but it's not dead. It's completely alive. But I can't, if five peaches on the branch would break it, it just, there's nothing. It probably couldn't even hold its own weight, especially in Embler winds. So I've got it strapped and twined and lumbered up and and fall came and I told Sarah, I don't want to cut that bough off because it's the main part of the tree and it's such good peaches. It looks horribly ugly to have the sawhorse and the foam and the baler twine on it. I wanted this nice picturesque orchard. But I got this junkyard out there under this tree, but it's really good peaches. And if we cut it off, yes, I know the other branches would grow, but, but it's going to be a while till they produce as many. I'll, we'll just wait. We'll just keep it held up. We'll just, we'll just keep it held up. So there it is. It lasted the winter, and, and I think that bough is alive. That tree is not putting out its leaves as early as the other one, and we'll see how it survived. What I am learning is that, again, in my pride and my flesh, I want this orchard to look nice, but I am learning really the goal of point of having the trees is to get the fruit. Are you with me? So you look around God's orchard here, and he's like, hmm, this is not the best-looking orchard. But Jesus is like, yeah, but there's some really good cherries here. And I really like them apples. And those peaches are really good. And, you, you know, there's, there's trees in this orchard that are strong and reaching for the sky. And they're happy and they're shaped beautifully and wonderful. And everybody looks at them and they're like, wow, they're a great Christian. They got their life in order. And then there's others that have been munched. <laughs> and you look at them and you're like, that, that ain't much to look at. 
but it is not their fault. They've just life has taken so many bites out of them, there isn't much left. Hello? There's still a good tree. It's just deer and storms and frost and bugs and and then you got people who are trees in God's orchard who are genuinely broken. I mean like broken, broken. But they're still alive. Like this peach tree. It's totally ruined structurally. And eventually I will have to cut that bow off. I just got to wait for the rest of it to grow up. But with enough support, with enough support, I said with enough support, it can still bear really good peaches. So now you see how this fits in our series, talking how this is the follow-up to the man called Norman. I'm talking about us being a church family. I'm talking about us taking care of our neighbors. There are people around us in this church and on your street and in your family. You're like, why can't they just suck it up? Why can't they just live life? Why do they need help? Why are they whining all the time? Why can't they just get over it? Life took a lot of bites out. Sometimes it was a storm, sometimes it's deer, other times it's just like, well, this tree, it just tried to do too much, and it snapped. But Jesus is a very, very, very patient gardener. He doesn't chop his fruit trees down and replace them with new ones the moment they break. Check this out. Luke 13. He spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it, and he found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and found none. Cut it down. Why are we wasting the space? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also, and I will dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, great. If not, after that you can cut it down. Jesus is going to give you every chance to bear fruit. Because the last thing he wants to do is cut you down and throw you in the fire. He is very, very, very patient. If he is that patient with us, that is the patience we have to have with each other. We live in a world where it's a lot easier to just buy something new than to fix the old one. And we kind of tend to do that with people. If somebody gets broken or they don't do what we want, we're going to cut that relationship off and move on to something new where we do get what we need. Seriously, our manufacturing is such that it's just way easier to buy something new than to fix the old thing. It's more expensive to fix it than to buy a new one. And we sort of maybe even unconsciously do that with people. Well, they're broken. Therefore, they're trash. And we'll start over. That is not Jesus' attitude. He will, listen, he is looking for fruit. He will cut down a tree and throw it in the fire. It is a warning and you need to hear it. But not because it isn't doing it right. It's if you refuse to bear fruit. But if you bear any fruit at all that is good, he will tend you and fertilize you and keep you and baby you and support you and keep you going no matter how broken you are. I know that it's exhausting and frustrating to have people who are needy, who uh, are complaining all the time or who need help all the time or whatever, but Jesus doesn't give up on people. He is very, very patient. If they're producing anything good at all, 
He takes care of us. If, they're not, if, if somebody refuses to produce good fruit, it is okay to cut a relationship off. This is bad. It isn't healthy. It's just hell in my life, and I'm, I'm cutting this off. But that's the last thing Jesus wants. It's the last thing he will do. Let me tend it. We'll give it one more chance. My peach tree broke because it tried to do more than it could handle. Grew more peaches than the, than the branch could handle. We have a scripture command that says to us, bear one another's burdens. And the scriptural word picture there is a stake on a tomato plant. You know, a tomato plant, there is no strength to it whatsoever. And it grows these great, big, heavy, juicy tomatoes. You have to put it in a cage or on a stake, tie it up somehow. When we're commanded to bear one another's burdens, it is, the picture is stand next to the other person so they can carry what they have to carry. Are you with me? We have this cliche that we use that is not true. But we say it all the time. God won't give you more than you can handle. That's not true. Life is way bigger than us. The tragedies and the pain and the heartbreak we live through is way more than we can handle. Somebody would say, but Mitch, the scripture says. Well, it does. What it says is the Lord will not tempt you beyond what you can bear. It says he will not test you beyond what you can bear. But the you there is plural. All of us together will not have more than we can bear. But individually, every one of us has gone through at least a season, if not most of your life, where it's more than you can handle. Jesus called us wheat. We had a lot of wheat in the valley and barley, but let's talk about wheat. You drive out through the valley in July, and you see the wheat putting on its heads of grain and... Rod McCall told me first service, uh, a good, healthy, big stock of wheat will put out 60 or 70 kernels. The average might be 50 kernels of wheat on this tiny little hollow straw that is absolutely nothing. And Jesus says, this is you. So you drive through the valley in July and August and the amber waves of grain are just flowing out there in the wind like ocean waves. But you know when the combines go out in the field and they cut that grain and they haul it off in trucks, the trucks weigh multiple tons. And in the right field, you could get thousands of tons of grain off of a field. You with me? Right? It looks deceptively light and feathery, when it's all out there on individual stocks. But if you think about, if you were to calculate the weight of the grain on the soil of the field, that is actually hundreds of tons out there in the field just blowing in the wind, looking like light as a feather. Each individual stock has its head of wheat, and there is no way that straw can support that weight except that it is jammed in there with all the rest of them so they all stand up. If you drive through a field in, or along the, through the valley and, and along a field in July, you will notice that, that all of the stalks on the edge of the field that are out there by themselves, when the weight of the kernels comes on in the head, they fall over and break because they're by themselves. 
But the ones who are surrounded by the rest of the wheat stand up and just blow in the wind. I can't fall over because I'm jammed in here so tight with the rest of them. It keeps my head on straight. Hello. Jesus says you are wheat. Your relationships are vitally, desperately important for keeping your head on straight. You cannot live life by yourself because you will have more than you can handle. But what keeps people standing, what keeps us from falling down is that we're jammed in there between a whole bunch of other friends and family and church and relationships and it, and it keeps us up. By very nature of just our relationship, it keeps us up. So my peach tree needs a little help. It needs a lot of help. And it isn't very pretty. I want it to look pretty. I wanted it to be uniform, but it's not. And I'm learning that God is not concerned with what his orchard looks like. He's just interested in how much fruit he can get and how good it tastes. It doesn't matter if this tree had tragedy, if this tree endured death, if this tree went to jail, or if this tree went through a divorce. It doesn't matter. Just bear fruit. It doesn't matter that there's a few weeds in this row of broccoli. I just want the broccoli. Hello? If the weeds are choking out the food, that's a problem. Get rid of the weeds. Not saying allow sin to grow in your life. I'm saying Jesus is not concerned that you look like a magazine picture. That's not his point. So we support each other. We support our neighbors and our church family. We support broken people who can still bear good fruit if they have some support. We're all overloaded people. It's not true that God won't give us more than we can handle. We've all got more than we can handle. But we stand together, we don't. There are people around who have some weeds in their garden. But they're still bearing fruit. Don't cut them off. Jesus is very patient and compassionate, more so than we would want to be. If they're bearing good fruit, there is value. So what does he do if somebody needs some help? The the verse said, let me fertilize it. Well, what's that? He dumps manure on you. (laughs) Hello. God, why did you dump this on me? I'm making you bear better peaches. (laughs) I don't want better peaches, God, if this is what it is. Come on. Jesus, the master gardener, dumps manure all over your life. God, my life stinks right now. I know, it's going to make the cherries so good. Come on. That's what did he say. That's not what he said in the Bible. I'm not changing a word he said. Let me dig around it and fertilize it. God, I'm not sure I want fertilized. I'm sure I want to fertilize you. This can't be Jesus. Well, it is. It is. It may not smell too great now, but it's going to make you taste great later. Uh, There's another trick that Jesus used. Jesus is the absolute master gardener. Sarah was informed by a lady in the church years ago that she, I think it was a fruit tree, that wasn't bearing, and she had an old neighbor guy uh, say, you know, in the old days we used to whip the trees with chains, and it makes them bear fruit. And so Sarah and I have talked about this through several years, uh, wondering if that was actually a real thing or not. And I looked it up yesterday, and sure enough, it is. I found a master gardener website, a lady in Houston, Texas, who's, you know, there's a master gardener certification for people who've been through so and such many classes. And, 
and learned all the stuff. So there is actually, it is a thing that you beat trees and even roses. Uh, you can beat flowers to make them flower, to make them bloom. So this lady had a, she said, a seven sisters rose. I don't know what a seven sisters rose is, but she said she'd had it for a decade and it had not a single bloom on it. And she was ready to take it out. And an older lady who was a neighbor and a master gardener said, well, you need to beat that with a broom at night and it will flower. She said, why at night? She said, so your neighbors don't see you. (laughs) (laughs) So she said, sure enough, I went out in the dark one night and I gave that thing some wax with a broomstick and it was covered with blooms. It had never blossomed before. And so she said, I started asking around and doing some research about what is this? And she said, sure enough, it is a thing to beat trees uh, with baseball bats or chains and make them bear fruit. There was a guy told a story where he had a pear tree that had borne fruit when it was young. And then as it got older, as things tend to do, it bore less fruit. And so he said, I took my baseball bat out and I gave it a few good whops on the trunk, nothing to, you know, tear the bark off or anything, but just whop it. And sure enough, the next year it has more pears than it ever had when it was young. said, you can do it with wisteria and uh, roses, and there was a whole bunch of different flower plants, but then fruit trees, uh, nut trees, almonds and uh, hazelnuts and pecans, grow more nuts now that the harvesting is mechanized where they put the machine around the tree and just shake the daylights out of the tree to get the nuts to fall off. They bear more fruit than they ever did in the old days when they didn't do that. Because when you beat the tree or shake the tree, it produces stress and makes, releases some sort of hormone that is similar to adrenaline. And it makes the tree just explode and, and, and it will make it produce. And it's rare, but it's not uncommon for fruit trees and flowers in the south after a particularly bad hurricane, even late in the summer, way out of season, they will blossom after hurricane. Because the wind whips them so bad that it makes the sap increase and it, and, it, and it stresses the cambrium layer and all this other stuff and it makes them flower. So these storms that God has allowed to blow through your life are not his anger, it isn't his punishment, it is more fruit. Jesus, the master gardener, with some people who just refuse to bear fruit, the very last thing he ever wants to do is cut them down and throw them in the fire. But he will. But it is the very last thing he ever wants to do. So if it comes to it, he will whip you with a chain and make you bear fruit because he does not want to cut you down. There may be situations coming to your life, you're like, God, this is torture. Yep. It is. I'm not doing it because I'm angry. I'm not doing it because I'm mean. This is not punishment or vindictiveness. This is life. This is me bringing you back to life. You can look it up online if you don't believe me. It is a, it is a master gardener thing to beat trees with a baseball bat. <laughs> just a little bit, just, just enough to wake them back up, and it will happen. And apparently roses and all sorts of things. The very last thing Jesus wants to do is cut somebody down and throw them in the fire. He will do whatever he possibly can to make you bear fruit so he can keep you. He wants you in his garden. He is ultimately patient. Sometimes his patience is painful, but he is ultimately patient. 
He's the most tender and best gardener ever. Bear fruit. Amen? Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the master gardener, that you garden our hearts very well. Lord, you garden your church very well. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the teaching that you gave us in these parables. Thank you for the way you created nature to work, that you show who you are and who we are and how you relate to us and how we relate to each other. Lord, thank you that you remove the pressure. The point of your garden is not to be weed-free. The point of your garden is to bear fruit. Lord, you are the one that causes that to happen. You fertilize us and you, t- and you nurture us and you prune us. And you do whatever is necessary to make your plants and your trees bear fruit. So we say this morning, Lord, we want to be your fruitful people. We want to have your heart for the people around us, to not get frustrated and impatient with broken people, to not get frustrated with people who need lots of support, but to understand that you are the gardener who will bear burdens, that you are the gardener who ties up weak plants. You're the gardener who supports us and undergirds us. And so we happily bear one another's burdens. And we stand in very close relationship so that we do not collapse under the weight of life. Thank you for putting us in a church family, for the friends that you have given us, for the family that you've given us, that we may stand together and bear one another's burdens. You keep us upright. You keep our head on straight. You keep us from collapsing under the weight. You support us through the people around us. Lord, we want to be like you, have the same heart toward people that you do. That you are ultimately patient and tender and nurturing toward your trees and your garden. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we thank you. Amen.